Our passage comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. This is the word of the Lord. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The word of the Lord. Uh, we have a special guest speaker today uh, named Fred Allen, and he has been here for the weekend. Uh, he's been teaching and leading uh, the discipleship the program uh, that YWAM has been running downstairs. And um, um, Fred Allen is the president of a ministry called Burning Bush Ministries, so just a little bit of background information. Uh, but he's basically a, a, a teacher, a speaker, and uh, uh, trains leaders in discipleship. And he has been all over the world, and much of his ministry has taken him to uh, other countries internationally. Um, uh, we were just talking before, but uh, recently a lot of uh, his work now is stateside. But um, just by email, <laughs> he's, he writes like many of the, some of the most encouraging emails. And uh, he has been praying uh, for us and for this time. So I'm really excited to see uh, the Lord speak through him. And I think this will be a really fruitful time. So uh, thanks, Fred, for coming up and speaking for us. I, uh, as I prayed about just sharing with you, um, I, I really kind of feel convicted to, to encourage you in terms of the big game, what the big game is. I don't know what your specific uh, issues are here in, with this particular congregation or in the logistics of how you do things. I know a lot of you, most of you probably just sort of commute in. Uh, there isn't really a central thing other than the meeting. And that can be a challenge all by itself. That makes it different than, for example, suburban experiences where you actually are a little more centered where you, act, where you meet. That's not the case here, at least with this congregation, as far as I could tell. And so there are some challenges about that. But those really are ones that logistically, with commitment, you can overcome, you can maximize. But the real issues are, the real issue isn't so much about the logistics of doing church, but literally the environment in which we're trying to do it. And I want to uh, uh, talk about that. Um, I, I would have brought my Bible with me, but then I would have needed reading glasses. So what I did is I put my notes here and then made, f I think it's about 24-point font so that I don't have to, I can actually see what's going on. I think they're large enough so I could actually put it in the back and see it. So um, if you don't mind, can I do this? Can I come forward a little bit? Okay, one of the things as a... Uh, speaker, teacher, I, I really want to be as close as possible to the people I'm speaking so that they can't actually leave without me noticing. Um, so I'm going to watch very carefully. Um, I, I, I can be threatening if you begin to nod off what will happen, and we found that during the, the training course, is I, I, start, I start ramping up a little bit. So it's to your advantage to pretend to, to attend to me and I will be mellower than normal. However, if you don't, you will notice what I do is I begin to move toward you a little bit. And you really don't want that to happen, okay? Uh, you really don't want that to happen. I want to read again the passage of Scripture that uh, we head up on the deal there. It's from Ephesians. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's what the battle is, as far as Paul says. When I, back in 1979, some of you 
probably don't remember 1979, is when I had a, I had a God encounter. I, I didn't get nurtured into the church. Uh, I mean, my folks did attend the church thing, but I didn't really get nurtured into church life by osmosis. I didn't, uh, I didn't simply walk into the expression and just start doing the Jesus-y things um, that the church was doing. As a matter of fact, I had a period of time where I, I basically rejected um, all religious stuff. I had a season where I, where I simply uh, pursued my own appetites, uh, my own experiences and my pleasures, and quite frankly, um, I had a good time. If anybody tells you that sin is not fun, they haven't done the right sins. Okay, I didn't, I didn't come to Jesus because I was having a miserable life. I, I really didn't. I was having a good time. But through a series of events, um, I actually had a God encounter where I, I prayed with a pastor I didn't know and nothing really happened. And then uh, later that day, um, the only way I can put it is I had an experience with the Holy Spirit. Nobody prepped me. Nobody, you know, I didn't have anybody telling me what was going to happen. This was totally out of the blue, my unexpected experience. And I, I met what I associated, with the presence I met was I associated with the Holy Spirit or the risen Jesus. It was as simple as that. And it was a profound change for me. Um, people noticed it right away. My drug dealer friends, I didn't even have to tell them. They said, you became a Christian. They, they like, it's bizarre. People noticed something different and I didn't have to announce it, although I did share with them. They noticed there was a change in me. So just so that you know that the guy who's up here isn't a product of, of Bible school, and I'm not saying that's not good, but I'm not a product of that. I'm not a product of a religious community that sort of shaped and molded me to become, you know, a part of the, the, the team, right? I'm an outsider. I'm an outlier. I'm someone who got annexed by an outrageous God who didn't seem to mind that he was violating my space. And, and so I got radically changed. And then something also strange began to happen. I spent time in prayer and studying the word on my own. Nobody told me what to do, but I was compelled to set aside time in the mornings usually, to, and I would take a pillow and put it on the ground. I, nobody told me this stuff. And I would bow down and I would spend time seeking the Lord. Sometimes my prayers were simple as, oh God, oh God, oh God. I didn't know what to pray. I didn't know what the agenda was. I didn't know what to expect. All I knew was my heart was longing to reciprocate from this invasion that I experienced. And as I began to read the word and all the scriptures and stuff, piecing it together, the picture began to come clear to me. It, I wasn't indoctrinated. I wasn't, nobody imposed any of this on me. So I came to this knowledge through an honest experience and a kind of pursuing what had happened to me, just sort of following after that. So I got radically changed. But what I want to speak about today is what I accidentally discovered. I accidentally discovered. I would pray often, just like I said, oh God, not really knowing what it is I was aiming for. I mean, I could bring my laundry list like everybody else does. And like the scripture says, bring your petitions. Yeah, do it. But that didn't make up the bulk of what I was doing. I was literally astonished at this God thing and was kind of just trying to get a hold of it. And I didn't really know what it was about. 
And I remember one day when my prayer time was just oh, the oh God, oh God prayer. By the way, sometimes you're far too ver verbose in your prayers. Don't, you don't always have to try to find words. You know, you don't have to read God the liturgy back all the time. He kind of knows it. By the way, you do know that, don't you? It's kind of fun how often I would tell, I, now I tell God what his job is. I, I remind him who he is in case he forgets. But back in the old days, I, didn't, I thought God pretty much had, knew what he was doing. And all I did was come before him and was going, oh God. And one day, I was going, oh God, oh God, on my little pillow. And suddenly, the temperature of the room plummeted. I was all by myself in the house. I was probably just weeks, not even that many, maybe a handful of weeks off of my conversion. And I'm praying, and suddenly the room went icy cold. And I'm not joking. I, this, I am not exaggerating for effect. Okay, that was my perception anyway. And I stopped my prayers. And I looked up, and I could feel in the room what I just would associate with as kind of a dark, malevolent presence there, with bad intention. That was the kicker. It wasn't just that there was a sort of climate, climate change. It's in that climate change, I sensed intent. I sensed intent. Now, I'm stupid. I still am. But I was really stupid then. Nobody, I, nobody told me what this was. And I'm going, okay, all right. It unnerved me. So I began to pray harder. I, I guess I just did it louder. Oh, God, oh, God. Nothing, man. It was like somebody had yanked the connection between me and God. It was, it was, it was a flat line now. There was nowhere, no way, no how I was going to be able to reestablish the connection. This, the, and this powerful, malevolent sense of darkness. And again, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not saying what... what was actually occurring. This was my sense. And finally, I gave up. I was completely unnerved. My, my prayer life, or my prayer, was completely shut down. There was nowhere to go from this, and I figured the best thing to do would maybe to just like quit and leave, which is what I did. I stood up and kind of went, okay, let's punch out, ching, and I left. I was completely unnerved. It was only afterwards, and I mean by over a period of time, when it began to dawn on me what that experience was. And again, it was through the reading of the scripture, that kind of thing, that slow accumulation of perspective that spending time in the word or prayer can give you. So it's not all this like instantaneous, you know, revelation stuff. That happens, but this wasn't that. And I began to recognize that what I was experiencing was my first taste of spiritual warfare. Now, I was not really good. Nobody gave me the spiritual map, you know, of the demonic neighborhoods like we like to do now where we... I, I was just wandering. I was whistling in the graveyard. Oh, God. Oh, God. Woo, woo, woo. I'm just walking through doing my Jesus thing. And somebody noticed who didn't like it. I had gotten the attention of some force that was not a friend of Jesus. And I sensed the gaze of that force. And in that moment, the force was successful. Shut me down. But then 
I discovered, as I thought the Lord was showing me, hey, welcome to the club, Fred. Well, you too. Okay, Fred one, Fred two, okay? It was, a, it was an experience of friendly fire. It was, it, it was a kind of boot camp experience for me where by divine sanction, and I don't know what you believe, and I don't really care. This is my experience. It's by divine sanction, I was allowed to experience some spiritual warfare in the relative safety in the cocoon of the presence. All right, here you go, son. I'm going to put you in there, and I'm going to let you experience what it's like when you meet face-to-face with your real enemy. And I have never had quite the pronounced experience of that ever since. Some of that is just being aware. Now I'm aware of what can happen, but I didn't know then. And that was my first experience of what the real struggle and the real battle was. It wasn't my prayer life. It wasn't my Bible knowledge. It wasn't how well I do church or how well I can strategize or, you know, how big my evangelism platform is. It had nothing to do with that. It has to do with the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. And as we come into the city, as I come into the city, or you're familiar with the urban environment, that is probably as pronounced as it is in any place in the world. That what we've got here, we're surrounded by an unseen but not so secret battle for the hearts and the minds of the people in this city. And I want to encourage you by looking at an example of spiritual warfare. And I'm going to actually read the account in entirety because it's, it's so good. You don't actually have, a, have to improve on it. That's what pastors tend to do. We take the Bible and then we improve on it by sermonizing on it. We're not quite sure the scriptures are powerful enough on their own. I'm joking. That's just me. Okay, I'm not accusing you of anything. Um, does he do that though? <laughs> okay, I'll leave your wife out of this. Okay, because I really want your marriage to last at least another 10 years. Okay. So I'm going to read to you from Daniel chapter 10. By the way, when am I supposed to be done? For reals, let me know. Okay. I never ask how long I'm supposed to have. I ask when I'm supposed to be done. Do you want me to be done sooner? Okay, good. I'm doing this for your benefit. I don't really care about you, but it's me. I want to be able to get out in time. So I'm going to read from Daniel 10. What makes this an interesting passage is even though in the New Testament it's very clear that we have spiritual battle going on, unseen realm battle, there really is no picture of it. Now, we do have some pictures in Revelation where we have some prophetic imageries and things like that. Well, that's fine. But there's not a lot of description of what's going on in the unseen realm except in Daniel 10. It's the only place that I know where we actually have an encounter reported by an angelic witness as to his experience of the spiritual battle. And I want to read this. So I'm going to read it and then just simply make a couple of comments on it. Normally I act it out, but I may not have time. But I may take the time if I really want to act it out. Okay. So if you feel like you need to leave before the sermon's over, don't even think about it. Okay. I just made that up. That's not really. Daniel chapter 10. 
In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belfashazar. I'm not even sure how I pronounced that. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. Hang on to that, three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Opaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves, right? There's the first thing. Daniel's privy to what's happening, but the reverberations of this encounter are so great that even the ones who have no clue what's going on are freaked out, okay? They're freaked out, okay? So don't get that. There's, a, there's something happening here. Then I heard him speak. Okay, so I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. Okay, we got some serious church stuff going on in here. When's the last time all of your congregation fell into a deep sleep? I can help you do that. Okay. This powerful encounter that Daniel's having. He's been mourning for three weeks, and he has this encounter, and those who have not been participating with him in this only know something's going on, but they don't know what it is. That's the first hint there. Most people are clueless. Most people are clueless as to what's actually occurring. They, they sense something going on, but there's no discernment about it, and so they can't engage it. They can't engage because they don't know. Now, that's mean, that doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means they're not privy to this exchange that's going on. That's one of the things I found out in my little accidental prayer life. I was engaging, and I got made privy to something that I wouldn't have otherwise. And even though it was unnerving at the moment, I have since learned from that experience something about the way things work. Something about what is the real encounter engagement that we have. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, and this is remarkable. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you sent your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Stop there for a minute. From the very first moment, Daniel, you set your face to understand. Your words were heard on day one. This is not a lag time in God's response to you. Okay? Since the very, and I have come now in response to them. Then he continues. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time to come. 
Now, from Daniel's perspective, he's just, let's, we know the only time frame we have is 21 days. That's the only thing that we, so we don't know how long before that Daniel was setting his heart, but we have a very clear two or three times now time frame as to how, much, uh, how long Daniel was engaging. So for 21 days, Daniel has been calling on the name of the Lord without response. As far as he knows, he's not heard. As far as he knows, there's no action going on. He's just hungry, man. I mean, we all start out with our great, you know, exploits for God real strong in the beginning. You know, day one of fasting. All right, let's pray. Day two. Yeah, two in a row. Three. Yeah, let's do it. Day seven. Yeah. Day 11. Okay. 13. You see what I'm saying? 14. 15. Dear Lord, nothing. 17, oh Lord, nothing. 18, oh Lord, flat line. 19, oh God, nothing. 20, oh Lord, nothing. As far as David's concerned, or uh, Daniel's concerned, there is no activity. All he knows is he's knocking on the brass ceiling of heaven. He doesn't know what God's doing. He has no clue about anything else going on until on day 21 or shortly after that, a messenger comes and alerts him that from the very first day, God heard him. Wouldn't that have been nice if he'd known that? He could have stopped praying. Oh, really? But we find out something extraordinary that we don't as far as a historical witness, not a metaphor, not a prophetic image, but a reporting of something that actually happened in the unseen realms. We clearly have an angelic messenger of God who was dispatched immediately. On day one of Daniel's prayer, it sounds like he was dispatched to answer Daniel's prayer. But for 21 days, the whole time that Daniel thinks nothing's going on, some entity, some powerful entity called the Prince of Persia has resisted the angelic messenger for 21 days. Whoa! Are you, seriously? I thought the angels were like, like this was a slam dunk. This was a no-brainer, man. I want God's mission? Get out of my way. But the prince of Persia has got some bad mojo, man. You see, this is astonishing stuff. This is all done outside the awareness of Daniel, who's simply being faithful in calling out what's on his heart. For 21 days, he's just calling out. And on the first day, the battle gets engaged, and Daniel doesn't know anything about it. He knows nothing about it. In fact, it's so crazy the, the prince of Persia is so strong that for 21 days he's able to stop the very messenger of God from doing what he's supposed to do until that messenger calls on Michael, the archangel, the big boy, to come down and make a way. Oh, okay, I've got time. 
to demonstrate this. Okay, and then I'll wrap it up really quick because it's more important to have fun than it is to actually have an impact. <laughs> okay, he's, he's scaring me now because, because Sa Pastor Sam is putting his discernment eyes on now. In fact, he's wondering if there needs to be an exorcism shortly after the service. But I want you to get this. Oh, Lord, whatever it is, Daniel's in mourning. He knows that there's something that God wants to do. He knows there's a lack in, in his community, in his nation. There's something that God wants to do with his people. There's a move that God wants. There's something that God has predicted and prophesied. Daniel only knows that. He only knows that there's a need for God to move. And he does the only thing he can do, which is go to his knees and cry out and intercede. That's all he knows. And then... The cell phone of heaven rings. And God, whoa, Daniel's calling. All right. My boy's calling. All right, let's see. Uh, Raphael. Yes, sir? I want you to go down right now and answer Daniel and give him the vision. Yes, sir. And here he comes. But then as he comes right to Daniel... The Prince of Persia, commonly known as Bruno, by the way. Hey, back off, goody boy. No, I'm here on a message for, with a message from God for Daniel. So what? Out of my way, young man. I'm going to deliver this to Daniel. I don't think so. Oh, yes, I am. No. Uh-huh. No. For 21 days. So finally, Raphael has to go, I'm telling. Now, up in heaven, in the gym, is where Michael hangs out. Yeah. Yeah, what, Raphael? What? That was 21 days ago, man. Who? Bruno? Bruno has stopped you for 21 days? Dude, it's your assignment. All right. I'll be right there. Boys. Raphael is having a little problem with the princess of Persia. I gotta go. I'll be right back. Keep the weights warm. Boom! All right, Raphael. Hey, whoa. How you doing, Michael? Hey, Bruno. What's shaking? Uh, no issue with you, man. Just me and Raphael have a little disagreement. All right, Raphael. Stand aside a minute. Bruno. This dweeb, Raphael, is on a mission from God. Get out of his way. Hey, I said get out of his way. <gasps> all right, all right, all right. I'm gone. Now, Raphael. 
finish the job. This is astonishing stuff. To recognize that in the spiritual realm, there are things going on that you and I have no clue about. There are forces invested in keeping every person you meet on the streets of the city here and your city, keeping them in darkness. And they use every means at their disposal from, from doctrines, from fabricated truths, from fear to distractions, to, to the American dream, to cultural sort of lockdown. They don't care. And their entire purpose is to keep the glory of God in the face of Christ hidden from everybody you meet. And make no mistake, it ain't no game with them. And here we find ourselves, like Daniel, with the testimony of the word, the community of the saints, and this astonishing gift of prayer in which we are to counter all the forces of spiritual evil in the heavenly realms. I'm not saying I get it. I'm saying that's the reality. Now, what I want to encourage you is this. You don't got to be the smartest kids on the block. You're pretty much already. But you don't have to be the smartest kids on the block. You just got to recognize who's against you. And they're tough. They're powerful. They're clever. They have all the resources of the world. Remember what the enemy Satan told Jesus in the wilderness. I can give you all the kingdoms of the world and their power and glory because they have been given to me and I can give them to whomever I want to. And what John says in 1 John, we know that the whole world is under the power of the enemy. There's no neutral ground here. There's only the church and there is the kingdom of darkness. That's the way it plays out. And here we are with this astonishing gift of prayer. What I want to know is what day of prayer are you on? There's a lot of people that have quit on the 20th day. They gave up. Nah, we've been doing this too long. No breakthroughs, no nothing. So they shut her down on day 20. Right? What day are you on? You see, we're people of the 20th day, man. We're people of the 20th day. See, there's a 21st day when this thing's going to shake open. There's, there's a 21st day when everything that God wants to do is going to blow the lid off this place. But what day are you going to quit, man? What day are you going to say, no, nah, let's just kind of back off this thing? I think we're people of the 20th day. Right now, we're on the brink of the 21st day. I don't know what that means. I honestly don't know what that means. But I do know that those who remain faithful, you don't have to know everything. You just literally call and go after the God, go after the God that he would do in your community, he will do in this church what you know he needs to do. What he knows he needs to do. But what he also does is he delegates. We're not the only players in this. The angelic realm is also partnering with us. And we're playing this together. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, and then I wrap it up. 
For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Be real careful that you don't start unleashing the weapons that look just like what the world is using. Okay? It might seem like a good strategy. Try not to be too relevant. Try not to make relevance your thing. Don't try to look worldly enough so that the world feels comfortable here. Okay? We don't wage war like the world wages war. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. Here's what I want to leave you with as an encouragement. You have an extraordinary invitation. I'm not saying that you haven't had it before or you haven't responded. I'm saying from now on that I want to declare this into you. This church, with its various outposts and its, and its Sunday morning gathering, this church has the opportunity of Daniel to, to see what it is that the kingdom of God needs to do in this place. And then instead of trying to figure out all the various multifaceted techniques to make it happen, to go after the God in, in, in a virtual monolithic sort of vision, you don't even know what you, to ask him. And to call on his name as a people. Say, look, look. For 10 years we've been meeting here and I think there are some spaces in the pews that should be filled with some people right now. They're not here. That there's some things that we know that are promised that God wants to do, that the scriptures tell us about, that we do not yet see happening. Now we know what to call on. And then say, we will not stop on the 20th day. We're going to call and pray until the 21st day when the heavens break open and God does what he's going to do. You have an extraordinary invitation. You've got great leadership. You, you, have, you have an unusual capacity for intelligence and education and, and, and a record of... of just professionalism, just in your congregation. That's really admirable. But none of those things are going to bring the 21st day. I'm telling you that if you seek and persevere, if you keep calling out even a simple prayer like, oh God, oh God, that you are unleashing in the heavenly realms, a battle that you would not believe if you could see it. That every prayer of a child, every prayer gathering in the back, unleashes power in the heavenly realms. And whether you see it or not isn't even the point. So the question then is, what kind of people 
are you going to be? What kind of fellowship are you going to be? I think you've done really well already. This is not one of those things where you're measuring one thing against the next. That's not what this is. But I have just enough audacity to suspect that I'm here to announce something to you that is about to take place. I'm going to pray for you and release you back to Pastor Sam. The world needs you to unleash the war. The world needs you to engage the God, to do what you cannot do, what you cannot understand, to accomplish what you cannot accomplish. And then this I promise you, based on the scripture, that if you persevere and you do not give up, you will see the move of God. And it will exceed your expectation. It will be outside the box of your preparation. And the fruit that you will bear will be far more than the seed you put in the ground. The scripture promises that. Let's pray.